episode 27 of First Strike. This is KYT with Robert Lombardi and Vince D'Agostino, Dagger 4. Before we start the show, just got to plug our sponsor, FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. And with us today, not just the three of us, we've got Daniel Fournier coming back. It's been a great run. I know on my previous podcast, we'd always brag about the good luck of the podcast, but guess I've been killing it. Uh, top eighting GPs, winning Pro Tours, and now we've got Daniel Fournier, who's won himself a trip this past weekend to Kyoto. Congratulations, Dad. Thanks a lot. I'm uh, really excited. <laughs> it's going to be sick. Okay, you, you just said that you, you lived your dream. You finally linked, qualified for two Pro Tours in a row, and Kyoto, all the ramen that you can imagine. Like we've got, we've got some like we got some damn good ramen in Toronto, but I can, I can only imagine how good real stuff is. Like, damn, yo, like I, I didn't need to like lose like fifty pounds before I go, just so I can gain it back eating like disgustingly <laughs> amazing Japanese food. It's gonna be sick. Yeah, I'm, I'm hella jealous. Uh, so let's just get right to it before we start talking about what we think of the format as a whole. As I'm sure Rob. Has a lot of strong opinions about that, Dan. No way. <laughs> Dan, what, what, did, what did you play uh, to this tournament? Who, whose list, whose exact list did you play for, for the, to get yourself into the top eight? I, uh, I played Marvel. Boo, boo, Marvel. Because uh, this format is busted. Um, it is a one-deck format. There are no other decks that actually are as reasonable a choice as Marvel. Like, everything can be competitive with it. Marvel can lose. It's not like it's 100% good win every game, but, like, damn, it's just better than everything else. So uh, I was trying really hard throughout the week between the PT and this event to try to not play Marvel because it's boring as hell, and I hate it. So I was trying Blue-Red. I was trying Mardu. I wasn't trying Zombies because that looks boring. Uh, So... (laughs) Just trying all this stuff I wanted to, wanted to try, and uh, I couldn't win with any of it. So I uh, asked my friends on, like, Wednesday or whatever, like, am I a complete idiot if I don't play Marvel this GP? They all said, yeah, you're a moron. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to try to not be a moron. And then I went back on my pledge to not be a moron immediately by trying to board out of Marvel as much as possible while playing Marvel. <laughs> so my sideboard is a bunch of long test cubs. We played a bunch of, uh, like, tireless trackers and negates in the main so that we could... Uh, have like a 15 card transformational sideboard and uh somehow i won the mirror every time at the gp with a transformational sideboard of four long tusk cub negates three and four a tracker three and four and then like three metallic rebukes and two confiscation coups so we just boarded out everything boarded out all this crap in like four or five of us played it this was like a it's basically like a fever dream sideboard plan that i thought of like randomly one night played like 10 like five games or whatever in the mirror and was like this is busted so uh, don't test like I do. Well, uh, Rob, you ended up playing Marvel as well. W- which version did you select uh, as compared to Dan? I kind of took the Dutch version and the Japanese version and, and made them have a baby. Now, <laughs> out came the version that we played. So I was playing three main deck counters, two sensor and a gate, and then two flame, go- two flame callers and a sweltering suns. I, um, think that, I think that's probably like one of the best approaches to this. Like the the Chandras and stuff are so essential to making sure that you can never lose the zombies and like yeah. glimmers and gear hulks and all the cycling cards and stuff are probably good to make sure that you can play a long game in the mirror. That's probably the right approach. Right. 
Yeah, that that that's basically the plan we had. So we had like four negate in the sideboard with two uh, two gear Hulk, um, and that's kind of what we were doing. I had really good success in uh, in the constructed leagues <laughs> leading up to the GP. I went four one four one five zero, and I was like, okay, like I think I've got the build where I need it. I'm like, you know, everyone in my group, I was like, this is what I'm going to play. You guys should play it. Here are the notes. Uh, everyone else made day two that played the list except for me. <laughs> <laughs> I went I went five four. I spun Marvel uh I don't know, maybe ten or fifteen times throughout the day and hit Ulamog like once or twice. <laughs> My opponents hit Ulamog real early on their Marvel spins, so that's that's the deck, that's the format. It's that was like, fun fun format. I felt like um, the, the stupid part was like you like you construct a deck in a way that's like, okay, I'm gonna be able to land my Marvel and I'm going to get you when you try and land yours. And so we had a really good game plan for that. And I would do that, and I would get my Marvel in play, I would spin it, and I would cast a Rogue Refiner. And I'd be like, damn it! <laughs> and then they would go, they'd have their second Marvel, and they'd spin it and hit Ulamog, and they'd be like, oh, uh, this is so stupid. <laughs> there, but, there, weren't, yeah. Yeah, there weren't that many like pro players in the sense of that tournament probably because of the the mox playoffs but a bunch of those who did just like immediately spun off with marvel ceremony or sorry no, unceremoniously spun off with marvel and just like immediately two for the tournament and went to twitter to complain <laughs> so you're 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 among a good company there yeah. Rob, what would you think of what was your team's mirror plan compared to the one that you just heard from Dan? What do you think of his plan now that you've heard about it? Yeah, so I, I think it's probably fine. I, I'd like to test the matchup because um, I think Morgan was on your list too, right, Fournier? Yeah. And we were kind of talking about it uh, before the tournament. He's like, yeah, we're on this like long tusk cub kind of like merfolk fish plan thing with trackers. I was like, okay, so you're like going underneath and we were like looking to push the game quite a bit longer right so we bring in a bunch of counter spells trackers and gear hulks and try and play more like an instant speed and grind them out um it'd be interesting to see how it kind of lines up i guess if we if if someone on our list didn't know that long tusk cub was coming they might fire off harness lightning uh earlier than it would be required and then kind of get caught with their pants down when you're able to play like an 8-8 on on turn four or five but i think if you hold it up and keep it then it's probably more of an interesting game but I can definitely see how, like, as soon as that one long tusk cub is like unanswered, it is game. <laughs> it, it was every time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I kept I kept winning matches where my opponent's hand, they, like, they would hit their eighth land or whatever, and their hand would be like negate ceremonious rejection, negate Ulamog, and I'm just I just have four creatures in play. I'm like, all right, yeah, like, cool. cool. <laughs> yeah, it being a two drop is pretty sweet. So yeah, I think it's probably a. Uh, it's probably a reasonable sideboard plan. If I fancy myself to waste some time on Moto, I'll probably try it out. <laughs> uh, of note, because uh, the list is posted, and I think some people are aware of it, this plan is like really bad. <laughs> people are, uh, are wise to what's going on. People know you don't have any color spells in your deck, they don't bring in ceremonious rejections, and instead they have like uh, a bunch of like sweltering suns, then this can get real embarrassing real fast. So uh, it's, it's a plan that's like very powerful and like a, an inexperienced metagame, but it's definitely a risk to continue to take. Sorry, it's, it's probably a bad idea to continue to take this kind of risk uh, after uh, yesterday. Hmm. 
Uh, Dan, what is your opinion on people that I've heard over the weekend? Because they, they just a lot of people just pick up the Marvel deck. They don't know what to do. And some ha- have you heard of people mistakenly taking out their Marvels for fear of hate and, and not having that sideboarding switch that you have? Uh, I don't think I've heard of anybody specifically doing that, except for all of my friends who I baited into doing it. <laughs> I just heard a lot of people think about, and other people were surprised. Just because they're so scared, I, I hope it's not because they're super scared of dispossess or lost legacy, right? I, I've heard of people trimming, I think, a little too extensively on the combo. Uh, the deck does have a bunch of powerful Plan Bs, but if, especially if you're not like fully set up with a bunch of trackers, a bunch of ways to protect them, like if you don't have a fully set up plan B, it's like pretty risky to actually be trimming on the combo pieces because your deck, the, the deck's powerful, but it fundamentally lacks a lot of like comeback mechanisms in some matchups. Like I, I had some situations where my opponents have like Ronuses and uh, like uh, just like whatever things that are bigger than like your three twos, your two threes, your, uh, your tireless trackers and stuff. And if your deck's not set up to be able to like, force like spin Ulamog in a lot of those situations, then you're really like in a lot of trouble. So it's risky to take out the the marble plan without a sufficiently planned backup. Rob, were you ever trimming your uh marbles? I usually cut uh one marvel but when I was playing in the leagues against zombies, I would like cut one marvel and two Ulamog. And I bring in an extra Chandra and two Gear Hulk, kinda like replacing those slots. Um, just because, like, you need to you need to sweep them before you can start dirtling around, <laughs> mostly. Um, so I just wanted uh, less kind of uh, dead cards, and um, it, that seemed to be okay. But yeah, in every other matchup, I was just really trying to jam a Marvel on four and hit Ulamog as soon as possible. Seems to be the best way to <laughs> to play the format. It usually that works, but uh, on uh, Saturday I was <laughs> not very good at hitting Ulamog. But but yeah, I mean, getting Lost Legacy is, is uh, or sorry, getting Dispossessed is really brutal if you have, like, two Marvels in hand or something like that, because you're not, like, replacing the cards like you are with Lost Legacy. Whereas, like, Lost Legacy, when they name Ulamog, and you have an Ulamog or two in your hand, you're, like, sometimes even just happy that they did that. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, uh, cool. <laughs> so I get, I get two cards I can cast. <laughs> that sounds good uh, to me. I'm pretty sure they're able to not pick the ones in your hand. Am I am I wrong about that? I think it had happened to be on Moto at least once. Oh, but they can actually not pick it? I've never yeah. had someone not pick it before. Yeah. Lucky. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it, is a, it is a terrible feeling when they dispossess and you, and you have, like, two marbles in your hand or whatever. But on the flip side, it's an amazing feeling when, like, the zombie deck has... Uh, like just a like they just put like a crit break or whatever you killed it with like a magnusphere harness landing and then they go turn three dispossess after you played a creature it's like all right sick <laughs> they miss they miss you just, you go untap tireless tracker land the game's just over it's so fun yeah it's like okay we're going to the long game and I have all the card advantage now <laughs> thanks yeah I have any power in play and you're an aggro deck with zero power sick. I didn't play against zombie once on Saturday. I played against Mardu twice, but it, zombies seem to be like very underrepresented for a deck that put three decks into the top eight, I think, at the PT, and, and actually won the event. <laughs> Just, uh, I don't know. I don't know why that is. I think the deck is like a reasonable choice, especially if you're an aggro player. 
the, I, th- I think the thing with Zombies at GP Montreal is that it was a fairly powerful choice for the Pro Tour because it was exactly that. It was a like a very powerful deck that is able to do a bunch of powerful things, but it can't really beat Marvel if Marvel's wise to it. If uh, if you're playing a Marvel deck that has a bunch of Sweltering Suns, has a bunch of Chandras, then suddenly the matchup can get like really embarrassing really quickly. I only played Zombies once on the weekend, and I think. I drew very poorly, and it didn't really matter. Uh, I could just I could just play a Chandra on turn five off of like a, a servant of the conduit or something, and the game ended because they literally couldn't beat that. You go like dispossess, so you go like lost legacy my uh, my Ulawogs or something. I play Chandra and win, or like you dispossess my uh, my uh, Marvels. I play Chandra and win. Basically, I, I think a lot of people playing Marvel at the BT didn't have the Chandra technology. And, yeah, uh, that's fair. That's, that's fair. changed now, and now zombies can't win. So that's awkward. Yeah, Chandra feels just so insane against zombies. It's great. Yeah. Well, a lot of people showed up with Mardu, and it actually kind of did reasonably well. Yeah. Which makes me sad that I didn't just run it back. <laughs> and the lists are like just so stock. They're not doing anything. <laughs> I'm like, how did you decide to play this in a field full of Marvel? You're so disadvantaged. But some people, I guess, just uh, took advantage of the the bad luck by the Marvel people and just running slightly hot, I guess, with their one mana three twos. Uh, that it worked out. My buddy, my buddy, my buddy Liam made it to the top eight with uh, a Mardu deck with three Gideons in it because he didn't couldn't afford a fourth Gideon as a sixteen year old. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. He, he played well. Like the rest of his deck was reasonably well built. It was just like oddly there was like a random one budget in consideration. Like and but he still like drew fine, played fine, and like if if the the Marvel decks, especially as they start getting cuter and cuter and are like shaving on Ulamogs for like gear hulks and sensors and stuff. For uh, for ways to get edges in the mirror, they can suddenly just get punched in by a lot of aggressive decks, and I think that's probably what we're going to see in coming weeks if people are trying to beat Marvel. That we're going to see the Marvel decks getting like a little inbred for the mirrors, and we're going to see a lot of like randomly extremely aggressive decks trying to punch them, and, and still losing most of the time because Marvel's busted. But you know, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of surprised. I wasn't that surprised by the sort of medium presence of zombies. It just seemed like everyone is more, maybe it's the internet, the information is flowing faster than ever before. That just everyone knows that Teamer crushes zombies. Uh, th- that's how it felt. Like all the pros were, most of the pros were on it. And uh, as a result, it was everywhere. And I played zombies myself because I borrowed a deck from my man, William Blondin, who was on, on Marvel, obviously. And uh, I got smoked. And it's interesting that Rob brings up like cutting to be safer against zombies when like luck isn't going your way to, to be able to sweep the zombies. Like when I played against it, I lost to it in games one and three because they turned four Ulamog me. And I'm just like, how can I ever win? <laughs> how can I just ever, ever win from here? And uh, when you I definitely to... can't beat turn four Ulamog. That, yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a certainty. I'm like, what? <laughs> what am I supposed to do? And when I, I'm like giving myself hope that I can make enough zombies with the Hierograph Colossus to like go over him at, at the following turn, he spins and gets another Ulamog. So it, it was over. Um, game. <laughs> game. Uh, then just to finish up. 
the tournament report with you. There was some a lot of sweet stories with you. You fidget spun on stream. That was awesome. You also talked about how uh, your opponents, how they were seated, could see what deck you were playing because the deck archetype was shown on their laptop, and I guess they were glancing at it? Uh, glancing at it is pushing it. Like it's cl- it was clearly in their peripheral vision. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll start with that. Yeah, Both in my first two feature matches in the event in like round 3 and uh, 11 or something. Uh, we were seated at the, the Time Warp feature match, where they basically record your match while the other matches are uh, playing on the stream and show it immediately afterwards. And in both of those situations, my opponent was sitting next to the guy who's on the spotter. Sorry, next to the, the, the spotter who's sitting on a laptop, like typing in the life totals and uh, pulling up cards, whatever they do. I don't really know how that works. But uh, basically, they have some kind of spreadsheet that uh, relays the info to the stream. And my opponents can see in their peripheral vision, Daniel Fournier, teamer, ate the works marble before the match started. And like, they, they, were, they were both kind enough to tell me. It was Max McVetty and Andrew Novarai, who are, like, great people. But it's like, I, I think they knew what I was playing regardless, so it didn't matter. Also, my deck didn't decide to cooperate in either of those matches, so it didn't matter. But it, it was still, like, a, a pretty egregious uh, competitive fault. Like, it's, it's a major blow to tournament integrity for, like, a random player in a future match just having this random huge bump of information. Uh, to, to the coverage and the judges' credit, they all did a great job of fixing the situation after. Uh, they're going to get like privacy screens for all their laptops in the future. Uh, like They changed the color of the font on the spreadsheet that had the deck names on it so that it was like yellow on yellow and therefore illegible for the rest of the event. They fixed it, but it was like kind of sucked. <laughs> Uh, as for the fidget spinner thing uh, yeah that was sick (laughs) Um, uh, BDM loved it basically uh, my friend Edgar Magalish uh, showed up to the event randomly with a a fidget spinner because that guy's a meme lord and just completely ridiculous so we're just sitting sitting around during round two uh, during our buys waiting to start playing guy just takes out this fidget spinner and starts being like marvel spin marvel spin like what the oh my god i had to do that on camera <laughs> uh and there's something about gps in montreal but i always get a round three feature match every single time like i usually like ox afterwards or whatever but like i always get the round three feature because before like i think the the real notable player show up like ah dan Fournier, the canadian guy Put them on camera. I appreciate it. It's cool. Um, so I told the editor, all right, I'm locked for a round three feature. When I get called, I'm going to run, find your table, grab the stupid fidget spinner, and I'm going to do it on camera for the memes. <laughs> uh, so I got called up for a feature match, and I did it, and it was sweet. And I made it uh, pretty high up on Reddit, and uh, I got called a lot of choice words by Twitch chat, a lot of choice words by Reddit. Apparently, I'm disabled. I didn't know that, except uh, the, guy, the guy spelled it diasabled. <laughs> Who's the real disabled one? Extra sweet. That's, 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 that's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> Extra sweet that you did against Andrew. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was really funny because uh, he actually like didn't react at all. It was clear like on his face he's like, oh my, what the, what's what's this idiot doing? <laughs> Whereas Rich Hagon was was uh, like spotting the match and. 
he like couldn't contain himself. He was like, "Oh my god, this is <laughs> unbelievable!" <laughs> uh, so I was pretty happy with it. That was that was fun. <laughs> and uh, how, how did your tournament ultimately end? Uh, with eight lands in a row in my top eight match, as is tradition. <laughs> dead, dead with seven cards in hand and nothing to do on board. <laughs> Alrighty. Um, so let's let's right away, right after the weekend of GPs was done. Aaron Forsyth tweeted the top eight, mentioned like top eight of GP Montreal, one blue red control, one black green constrictor, one black zombies, two modern vehicles, three teamer marvel. And I rem- this made me laugh a bit because uh, Shaheen stayed at my place, and when he was X one with blue black on day one, after day one, and he we had a chat walking, um, walking to the car. He's like, "Well, I, I can." He's like, "I can just see it. Like, if I win with blue black, if I win this tournament, they're going to use this as an excuse, like the teamer tower, and show that this format is more diverse than it actually is, and they won't need to ban anything, teamer tower." pushing that and here they're, they're showing like that tweet shows like a relatively diverse uh, if you weren't there to, to see the whole tournament a very diverse top eight uh, when you saw this tweet uh vince since you were drafting crushing it in the limited portion of the gp montreal well, what do you think of it is this like is it, a lot of people that didn't wasn't there tweeted afterwards like hey show like quoted that tweet as proof that we shouldn't ban anything and that the format was healthy so what do you take away from that tweet? I feel like you call on me when you want me to just start yelling about Watsi, but, but I'll take it. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, I think this is like kind of a classic maneuver, right? Like, first of all, a top eight is not an adequate representation of the results of a tournament, right? Like there's so much, like you could have three different matches change in one round and the top eight would look completely different. So uh, yeah, it's just, it's not, it's not really a fair metric to use as a way to say, look, the format's healthy. We have all these different decks on the top eight. Um, that being said, I don't, I, I didn't play in the, the, the main event. Obviously I was doing side events because I don't like the standard format as I guess we've clearly been talking about for a little bit here, but yeah, I think, I think that's a totally unreasonable way to justify that a format is diverse. And the reality is it doesn't even matter if the format is diverse, right? Like if the best deck is this deck that is unfun for everyone playing it. Isn't that enough of a reason to be like, this is a problem. We probably shouldn't do this in the future. Even if there are other decks that are top eighting tournaments, that doesn't mean it's, it's healthy to have a deck this powerful that feels so unfun to play and play against. So I, I don't even think that's justification, even if it was accurate. I totally agree with that argument because it, when I thought eggs was going to get banned, I didn't think it was the most popular deck at the time. It wasn't like dominating the PTQs that I was playing in. I just knew that the fact that it didn't let your opponent interact and killing someone took you quite a long time because you had to loop through a bunch of things just made it a not pleasurable experience for, for people playing. And I thought it would get banned and it did. And same here, like people are saying like, oh, it, it, it needs 80-20 against the field or whatever. No, it doesn't. It doesn't need that. If it's not fun for a lot of key reasons, then I'm not surprised if they decide to ban it. Uh, thoughts on that, Dan? Um, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of torn on it. Like, obviously this format sucks. It's just bad. Uh, I've been like, 
an ardent supporter of bad, of ostensibly poor, like ostensibly bad standard formats for quite a while recently. I thought that the the majority, like the Mardu versus four color uh, standard, was actually like surprisingly palatable. I thought the matches were interesting. I thought they were fun. I didn't care that there were only like two decks that were competitive. But uh, this one is just downright boring. This deck's garbage. It's so unfun to play. It's so unfun to play against. Your games and matches are decided by these all these random swings. And while banning cards is like has been has been and will continue to be extremely damaging to the to standard, should they really be leaving it like this? Um, I don't. I really don't envy whoever has to make this decision at Wizards. This uh. This is a, a like a, a, an ongoing design catastrophe. This 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 bunch of standard sets has just been like so bad for them. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that you made. Like when you put this standard environment in context with all of the bands that they've been doing up until this point, it just makes it look so much worse. Because you're like you you had multiple opportunities to try to make this a reasonable format and make this a format that people enjoyed, and the end result is still something that people aren't really even remotely satisfied with so you don't want to see them ban more cards because you're like it's clearly not even working at this point but what do you do right like yeah i'm I'm totally with you i don't know if they should ban it or not ban it but they don't really have a good a good option in either scenario it's it's the worst it's ever been somehow they keep banning things (laughs) they should ban it they should ban it it's very clear they should ban marvel the card is completely ridiculous right they will definitely not ban it, though. I am very certain that they won't ban it. They can't have three bannings in a row. That's just, like, so bad for them. And I think what they need to do is put something into the metagame that can actually put Marvel in its place. So what needs to happen? They need to unban Reflector Mage and unban Smuggler's Copter. And this is really, like, the only course of action they can take where they, like, don't get completely blown out by <laughs> everyone screaming about how ridiculous their card design has been over the they, last eight months. They need spell color to be good. Yeah, this is exactly, yeah, this exactly my point. So you, need, but you need, yeah. Yeah, you need Copter, right? Because then Blue White Flash becomes a deck, and now you have something that can keep that in. And I think Zombies would probably be good against Blue White fa- Flash. Um, and then that allows a bunch of the other decks to kind of like swing around that. So you have like Marvel and Blue White Flash as like your big four. And there's like going to be some other things that can come in and out of the metagame, like random black green delirium energy or counter decks or whatever, um, or like red green energy aggro decks, mid range stuff like that, blue red zombies. Uh, and I think that's a fine metagame. I still think Marvel's stupid, but I think this keeps it in check enough that they don't need to ban it where like people actually stop playing, uh, you know, standard, which is kind of where they're at now. Like GP Montreal had 800 and something people. That's like, just so ludicrously low. It was so low that they were like giving away insane amounts of packs of the prize event. They just had like, they're just expecting so many more people at the event. There was a side event where um, it was like some standard side event. Only 19 people joined. So they just chopped the prize. They didn't even run the event. They just chopped the prize between the 19 people. And each person walked out with something like six boxes. For like fifty fifty dollars, it was just like yeah, no one wants to play standard. It's so stupid right now. So um, I think they're gonna unban. I mean, I think the only option they have is to either like let standard die over the summer and hope like the next set revives it in some way, or unban at the very least 
Smuggler's Copter, but I, I really do feel that Reflector Mage needs to be unbanned as well. So I guess if you want to hit that spec, pick up your copters now whether it's still a buck or whatever. <laughs> it's my favorite card in the last year. Uh, Rob, what do you think of like people tweeting? I don't want to read too much into like maybe Aaron was just tweeting the top eight, but he was tweeting that and like saying how Santiago had basically the same top eight, swapping black green energy for red green. Like, does this like a lot? A lot of the public that I see on Twitter think that it's much more diverse than it actually is. So what are your thoughts on that? Like, the, the high variance of Marvel is going to allow other decks to be successful because you're just going to, like, boop the bed some number of times, right? Like, I missed hitting Ulamog, like, so many times. I was watching other people play, and I was like, spin, miss, spin, miss. <laughs> like, Derek played uh, around with someone, and the guy was like, Marvel, flip, hit Marvel, Marvel, you know, get two energy, spin. This is all in the same term. Spin, hit Marvel, Marvel, spin, hit Marvel, Marvel. Uh, and he only had like two energy left or three energy or whatever. He's like, go. And Derek's like, uh, okay, Marvel, oh, Ulamog, exile your fourth Marvel, and I'll land, go. It's like, what are we doing here? So, like, you just can't have that play pattern. And yeah, they're going to justify it. Like, oh, look, the metagame's diverse. Other stuff can creep in to top eight and, and that kind of stuff, which is, like, is true, but, like, the whole path that you get there is, like, as both Daniel and Vince said, just terrible. The games are uninteresting, and it honestly does, like, even when you got to do your thing, like, I got six energy, and I got the Marvel on the table. Like, I'm good. This is what my deck's supposed to do. You're still maybe not in a good position. You're still just rolling the die and be like, did I hit? Boom, you're dead. Did I whiff? Uh, okay, maybe I get to try again. Nope, I'm dead. Okay, cool. Like, next game. So, um, yeah, they're going to use it to justify it. I think it means literal nothing. Um, so I think this is, I hope they treat this like the Emrakul situation, where like Emrakul was not dominating the tournament scene and neither was Reflector Mage, um, but they felt that standard was suffering for people at an FNM level because they didn't like losing to that card. So, I don't know. Ulamog should probably just be banned or Marvel. Like, I don't really care which. Kind of solves a, the same problem. I honestly think that Marvel is more oppressive and more of a stupid card, but uh, I would be completely fine with bringing Blue-White Flash back into the metagame. Uh, I think yeah. it deserves to be there. <laughs> it is just a fine deck that had... Whoa! Like low variance. It was not overpowered, right? It was just like a very good deck. It was just a very good deck. Whoa, whoa! We got another <laughs> white hater here. No, no, I don't mean. Sorry, I, I don't mean like it sucked to play against or whatever. It's just like I played a lot, like uh, a ton of events with the White Flash, and it always felt like, oh, uh, this is a really weak deck that wins more than it loses. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, every it's game, just like fine. oh, it's just fine. Oh. I draw a card for him, like, oh my god. <laughs> I'm like, Ugh, kill you. Ugh. Like, <laughs> no, no, Brain Inspector beats don't feel good, right? Like, that's the best card in the history of Standard, but, like, ugh. <laughs> it's, it's, I, you know, Brian Gottlieb mentioned many times on this show that he thinks it's just a terrible deck and he doesn't know why people win with it. <laughs> it, it, it won. Like, it was a, it's, it's a good example of one of those, like, very versatile blue decks that, like, can find ways to win in a lot of situations just by not necessarily being, like, High-powered, with the exception of Gideon, obviously, that card's nuts. Uh, it's just a bunch of, like, reasonable, attractive cards that happen to win more than a loss. Uh, and that was, like, a little bit of a problem in that standard, I think. But not enough that 
it deserved a ban. I thought those bans were whack. Dan, you just reminded me of, uh, speaking of Gideon and your friend Liam, who only had three, it reminded me of like the Alex Hayden story. He told me how he once, I guess they didn't have a sideboard, so he had a bunch of like islands in his sideboard and he topped it in a vent. Next thing you know, people were net decking that exact sideboard. And we're going to see people play three Gideons, maybe, if they're net decking the Liam deck. I, uh, <laughs> I don't think that will happen. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know the whole story. They mean. I think like week in the first couple of weeks of uh, like the the Mardu decks going on in this format, there were some like not like this specific format, but like this Mardu deck existing. There are a lot of there are lists going around. There were like three Gideon, one uh, one Chandra, and like uh, but at, at this point, the gig is up. Everyone knows Gideon's messed up, and you, you got to play four. Like, why would you play that deck if your intent wasn't to play four Gideon? Right. The excuse is literally like I can't afford the like thirty forty dollars or whatever. Like that's fine, but uh, nobody's intentionally playing three games, being like, "Oh, this is a sound strategical decision." <laughs> oh, just before we close the Marvel conversation, because I was just thinking about it a little more, it probably will be Marvel that gets banned if they decide to ban something, because I, you can be relatively sure that there's going to be like an eight mana bolus in Hour of Devastation. And he's going to be like completely out of this world when he gets the battlefield. That's just kind of like uh, the expectation. So I feel like casting him for four is probably not going to be a great standard format either. <laughs> yeah. And I don't even know what he does yet, but I'm sure it's going to be stupid. <laughs> Sorry. Also, before we go off this, I have one interesting thing to say about uh, the topics and their diversity. Uh, in the top eight of Montreal, no non-Marvel deck beat a Marvel deck. And a Marvel deck also won Santiago. I didn't actually pay attention to the rest of that. Like, there were randomly a bunch of non-Marvel decks in the top eight, but, like, none of them won. Max beat his uh, quarterfinals match and then immediately lost to a Marvel player. The Marvel decks are just so much better than everything else. And if you look at the standings, uh, the deck lists beyond uh, the top eight, like the the seven two or better deck lists were something like sixty Marvel, and then the next best was the next best deck was like fifteen, uh, and like the top thirty two is something like eighteen nineteen Marvel or something. Like it's way more of a percentage of the metagame than what these specific top eight uh, uh, layouts described. And so I, I think the the tweets from Aaron Forsyth were a little like. <laughs> Here's the topic. It's, it's your job. Like, it's yeah. fine. You're supposed to do that. Like, promote your game. But, come on. <laughs> this, was, this was Grand Prix Marvel. Yeah. And hopefully, was. we'll never have another Grand Prix Marvel. Uh, I don't know. It, it was interesting for me to talk to some of my friends asking about their deck shows and why they didn't play Marvel. And they would say that they didn't like the field bats of missing. But, I mean, like, the deck is just so powerful when it doesn't miss and even when it misses you're not necessarily gonna lose um it was annoying when like rob mentioned that scenario when i'm just sweating they don't hit an ulamog i'm happy but they did hit another marvel which gives them two energy so that it can spin again so to me it was man it's tough i think that's the best deck not close unless someone actually i don't know somehow comes up with something that no one has come out with yet and uh I see some tweets about people going to GP Omaha, like Chris Van Meters asking, like, should I just pick up Marvel and practice with it? Probably. Probably. 
Um, to wrap up the, the GP Montreal weekend, Vince, like, describe the, the overall experience. Did you have a great time? Was it well-run? Everything was smooth? Yeah, I, I mean, my experience was obviously drastically different than the other, the, the three of you, because I didn't play in the main event intentionally. But, yeah, it was awesome. Like, I, I feel like they can't run the type of side events that they did at this GP again, just because, like, the value of these events was so good that I talked to plenty of people while I was drafting on, on Friday or on Saturday and Sunday that were like, yeah, I was going to play in the main event and I wanted to, but I couldn't pass up $140 for 10 drafts where the payout was you win one round, you get 10 packs. Like it just made more sense for these people who weren't trying to get pro points and weren't trying to queue for the tour and just wanted to go play at a big tournament and have a lot of fun. Like, it was just a better option. Is that the way they want to go in the future with GPs? Maybe. I have no idea. And it's kind of an interesting sort of subtopic to that later. But I had a fantastic time. I, was just, I just did a, a large amount of drafts, and I played at a sealed event, and it was a lot of fun. And I won a lot of packs, and I ended up with about a, a case of, of Amonkhet just from drafting over two days. And that, to me, is a, a pretty successful weekend for a Grand Prix. Um, learned a lot about the format, too, which was nice. Thought I had it figured out. I don't. And now I feel like I might have it figured out again. So it's, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I've heard some issues. Maybe I don't know if it affected the draft that you played in that uh, the issue was that people would want to split after a certain round and they didn't want to play. That's what I, I've read. I mean, that was sort of the consensus among the people drafting was you just play around because the, so the prize pool for each draft was 40, 400 tickets, which is essentially 40 packs, right? Um, so after round one, it's a single elimination draft. There's four players left and everyone was just, most people were willing to just say, let's just split and get 10 packs each and move on to the next draft. Because a lot of the people that were running these drafts were, had this coupon for 10 drafts and to get 10 drafts done in, in two days is you, you gotta, you gotta get them going. Like you gotta be, be working <laughs> through them. So, uh, yeah, that was sort of the general consensus. I feel like the, the problem was actually more of the opposite when you had people being like, no, I want to play all three rounds of this draft. And that ended up causing a lot of problems for people who are trying to sort of game the system by drafting very aggressively. Um, I know the, the tournament organizers set up um, turbo drafts, as they called them, which were drafts that basically forced the chop after round one, where everyone would get 10 wow. drafts. Uh, and that was very popular with people. The problem is they only did them at night when there was not enough time for these drafts to finish. Uh, but I, I know people were actively waiting for those servos to start and then just start running them over and over again. I actually did a draft right at the end on Sunday night where the eight of us agreed to sit down, not open our packs and each take five packs. So basically we just sat down and got eight packs for $14 and walked away because I still had coupon. Like I had a draft left on my, on my coupon thing. I didn't have time to play. I'm like, do we all want eight packs for 14 bucks? Excellent. Let's walk away. And that's what happened. So Wow, it's just weird. Like that's why after this weekend, I was like, I'm pretty sure this isn't gonna work out again. Like I can't imagine them running this style of thing again, where the air quotes EV is there for people to just sit down and walk away from a, a tournament and everyone to be happy. So GP we'll sides are whack. Yeah, they are right. They're just crazy weird. Well, I think Watsi like um gives the TO a bunch of product for the side events, don't they? Do you know Watsi? S- Sorry, Dan. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know how much I should say. <laughs> okay, I, I think I think that they give some product for, for the side events. I'll tell you so, later. Okay, so so probably <laughs> if they do, I feel like GP Montreal had a surplus of product compared to 
people that could <laughs> uh, you know, play events to get that product. <laughs> uh, Vince, yeah, yeah, what you mentioned was interesting. It's just that uh, a friend of mine uh, posted, tagged me in, on a Facebook post saying like he did, he felt bad being like the one, the poo pooer of of the group when like people wanted to chop and he actually wanted to play and he was just put in a bad spot. Like he came to play and uh, it's like everyone wanted to chop. Yeah, absolutely, and that sucks. And th- the real simple solution to that would have been to offer turbo drafts the entire time. And that way, the only people that would actually sign up for the three-round drafts are people that wanted to play three rounds. And that's totally fine. And the only people that would be asking to chop after round one in those three-round drafts are people who have horrible decks. So you wouldn't feel bad about saying, let's keep playing. I'm, I'm totally fine with uh, getting 20 packs this time. <laughs> so yeah, if they offer a turbo drafts all the time, that wouldn't have been an issue. But all of the other side events were great, too. Like it, the, the entire side event situation in GP Montreal was fantastic. Just if, if you were someone that wanted packs of Amonkhet, side events at GP Montreal were the place to be for sure. <laughs> Vince, what was your takeaway for Limited? What was your main takeaway? Well, that's a lot of packs. What's your uh, the, the main thing that changed? So, my appreciation for a Limited format in general is one that as I continue to play it, I learn new things and my opinions change. You know what I mean? Like, if I, if I think a format becomes stale in a week, like, that's not a good Limited format. This format, I keep reevaluating my picks and I keep thinking I'm doing it wrong. And I'm okay with that. I like that, right? I, I like that uh, I end up having to think about things that I thought were accurate before and have changed. Like, my evaluation of Avon Wind Guide has been a roller coaster of emotions. I thought that card was great, and then I thought it was horrible, and then I thought it was great again. I kind of think it's bad again. I'm not sure. But, like, that, I think that's a great part about a limited format is that you can kind of have that experience with, with cards. Um, I think of the 10 drafts I did, six of them were black-red, so I'm probably a little bit biased, but for, I, th- I still think this format's a whole lot of fun. And the sealed format is great. I, I, did, a, I did a sealed on, on Sunday, and it was just like, man, five-color green is a real archetype, and it's a lot of fun to play. So It's the yeah. only one. Yeah, I mean, but at least, at least it's interesting and fun, and everyone can do it, right? Like, it's usually available to most people. Glory Bringer is really fun and limited. Sandworm Conversions is my favorite card to play against. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yes, there are good rares. There are good rares. Should Glory Bringer be a mythic? Sure, that's definitely a reasonable argument. The good rares are so stupid good in that format. And there, there's so many, like, I don't know. The format's excellent. I think the sealed was really good. Up until people figured out that the bombs were like literally the only thing you were supposed to do. Uh, yeah, they, and, like pre-release weekend was so great. It was so fun. Everyone was just kind of dicking around. You had all these like sweet decks. It was fun. And, and now I'm playing sealed on moto, and it's like I was playing sealed on moto to prepare for the RPTQ in a couple weekends, and it was just like dreadful. My friends were playing sealed PPTQs and talking about how dreadful it was. And uh, the, one of the happiest things for me about uh, making top eight yesterday is that I no longer have to play this <laughs> So, so we have very polarized opinions on what we think about the seal format because you don't like yeah. five color mirrors. It, they're just so bomb centric, and That's I don't like. I, I really don't like when sealed Magic the Gathering is like Fairy Forge, where I, 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 I feel like the 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 packs I open determine my results in the turn. I think that's garbage. And this yeah, one is the closest to Fairy Forged. I, I will in terms say, of that in a while. I will say I'm a little bit colored because 
of the experience I had at this last field where I had a, a pretty good five color green deck, but I can see the perspective of like, yeah, just ramping into Samurai Convergence isn't really that exciting. But I did have, I did have a game that was actually like the the justification for my for this emotion that I'm feeling. Where I played Anissa and played it on, I played it on five Nessa for five and plus it to seven, and scryed and put a late claim on top of my deck, and then my opponent played Nissa for four and plus it and scryed. And then I proceeded to ultimate minus a late claim there and and 20 them by ultimating their Nissa as well. And that was a, that was an exciting and fun experience. So I think that's sort of why I love the sealed format is when else do you get to double ultimate Nissa to, to win a game of limited. So I do like the late claims in the sealed format. I like that there are a lot of common and uncommon, like bomb answers. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Glorbringer sucks. Glorbringer does suck. Yeah, you can just play those cards in your deck full of bombs, and it's like, oh, do you have an answer to this bomb? No, all right, next bomb. All right, do you have an answer to this one? All right, cool. All right, I got a sweet bomb. All right, lay claim it. All right, well, I guess I win with your bomb. Like, <laughs> That's fun. There's no answers, but like the bombs and the answers are so much better than all the two mana tutus. So. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. This, yeah. is a, this is a sealed format where if you're trying to play like some kind of aggro strategy, you're going to feel really bad really quickly. Which is nuts because like aggro is sick in draft. Like, in draft, the draft is so good. So yeah, yeah, that, that's very true. That's very true. just a couple, a couple bad card designs kind of ruining the sealed. Card. Mm-hmm. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> that's amazing, uh, Vince. Uh, so is even wind guard bad now again? I feel like it's bad. Only okay. The card is good. Clearly, like if you look at the text on the card, you're like, this card is has to be good, right? But I feel like the deck is bad. I can never figure out how to draft a blue-white and bomb deck and feel like I can't lose. I played against someone in a draft during the weekend where I passed them pick four and five Aven Wim Guide, pick six Temet, and they opened the 4-4 the four, four Sphinx. And they had Drakehaven in like a bunch of cycles. I don't know if they should have been playing Drakehaven. That's a different question. But And their deck, they just lost to me, and I was playing Black-Red Dirtles. Just because the deck is so clunky. Like, I don't know how you make it work, but it feels like it should be good. So I, I think it's bad right now. That's right. Only because I don't draft blue-white. Hmm. I don't draft blue-white either, unless Watsy forces it down my throat. And I miss 22 picks in a row. Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, what do you think of them? Uh, their discussion of uh, Sealed? Uh, I think... So, in general, I don't like a Sealed format like Amonkhet, just because... The strategies that exist at common and uncommon are usually, or I guess, in Omnicat, and it seems kind of true for Kaladesh and some of the other sets that that were we recently had, where like the synergies are, uh, I don't know, amplified, if you will, right? Like the black green minus one minus one Kaladesh. You need like a certain uh, number of those cards before the deck comes together. Like the white green, white red aggro deck needs a certain number of cards. White green exert needs a certain number of cards, right? The black, red, and blue, black cycling decks also, like, they need certain pieces and a lot of those pieces exist at uncommon and then there's, like, a bunch of enablers at common. So, in sealed, that stuff doesn't come together a lot and that really uh, puts more emphasis on the fact that you need to be playing your bombs. And then the set also has a bunch of very bomby bombs, so, like, you rarely have an opportunity to build a synergy-based deck that you would get in draft that can compete with the power level of what's going on uh, at rare, um, so yeah, I, I, I lean. I don't lean as far <laughs> to the left as Daniel, but I, I, I'm not with Vince either. I'm a, a little bit closer to Daniel on the fact that the, I don't like the format in general. Just don't like sealed formats 
where the draft format has like it's just really amped up on the synergies between uh between the colors, especially when they're not like consistent across them, right? Like if everything was minus one, minus one counters in all the colors and they can work with each other, that's probably more interesting, right? Because on average your sealed deck is gonna be able to do something useful. But when it's only like two colors that have it, and then everyone else is kind of left out of the puzzle, and then these guys are cycling colors, and then everyone else is kind of left out of that. I don't know. It's, it, it's kind of weird. And uh, I feel like the variance has just increased in whether or not you get a playable deck. Hmm. But when you run hot, you run real hot. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, did you do much draft prep uh, for, for your RPTQ? Is there anything that you discovered in, during this uh, leading up to potentially playing it? I did a bunch for the PT last weekend, but uh, I was focused after that on trying to figure out decks for Montreal because typically I do pretty well at uh, standard GPs, so I try to try to work on that more. So uh, I didn't do that many drafts before PT on Cut because uh, I was completely lost in standard and felt that I, my work, work was better focused there, and the the people who I was working with were for the most part like as good or better limited than me. So I basically relied on them to come up with a bunch of opinions. We had like a big team meeting where we like uh, mathed out a bit of a pick order and then discussed it and talked about archetypes and stuff. And I actually felt that that, uh, that meeting where I had people talking to me about their opinions was way more helpful to me than like the 30 or whatever drafts I did. Uh, I, I do agree with, with Vince. So like, Black red is sick, and I want to draft black red every time because the black red deck in Amoket draft can be whatever the hell you want it to be, and that's like pretty sick. You can have like a ton of removal and a ton of like yeah. defensive creatures and card advantage, or you can be aggressive. Like it's sick. Yeah, and it's so flexible. And it, while you're drafting it, where you end up, like the cards that are good in one deck can also be reasonably powerful in the other deck as well. So I'm totally into drafting card black right now. It's like Mardu's standard. It's it's a deck that's able to like switch positions very effectively, and that's like yeah. historically one of the strongest things you can do in, uh, especially like lower powered magic, is be able yeah, to exactly. switch aggro and control kind of based on the way the drafts pulling out, the way your deck builds out, the way your games are playing out. Like, yeah, the the cycling cards in black are all really good, and that that helps it yeah. a lot. Yeah, cycling is very good for limited. Oh, for sure. I feel like uh, the strength of the black de- red deck was known several weeks ago and was available to our patrons. <laughs> Just that point, I, it was. <laughs> nice plug. Nice plug. Well, that plug. Um, there's a well today. Watch the announcement. Something that we've man, we we talk a lot of. There's a lot of topics we talk about. And bands is a word that we've used so much on this show since it started. Um. Some good stuff, though. Some, some, something that people were happy with, uh, just going to quickly mention it, is the fact that they're going to make Fatal Push an FNM promo. And I think that is huge. That's probably the sweetest promo they've made since Serum Visions, maybe even? Like, Rob, like... Yeah, Path, maybe. I think they did Serum Visions and Path very close to each other. But yeah, I mean, like, this is obviously a hit for them. It would be so stupid for them to miss it that I think giving them praise for it is, like, shows how bad of a choice they... No, no, really no. I, I, no, no, they should do it. They should definitely do it. Okay, look, don't get me wrong. I'm happy they did it, but, I mean, this is the obvious choice, right? Like, this is the card they knew was going to be modern playable. It would be just so insane for them to miss it. 
I think that them doing reverse engineer is very interesting though, because like that card's terrible and they obviously thought it was going to be great. <laughs> uh, they yeah, they I mean, missed cards that were very obviously going to be good and never made them FNM promos. So let's like what? Let's though? just applaud them for what they've done. This is a fantastic <laughs> choice, and I'm very happy. You, a, you have a ten dollar yeah. uncommon that you managed to make an FNM promo. <laughs> I, I wonder if uh, if their terrible selection of FNM promos and just promos in general won't change in the future as they're adding this uh, this like play testing team, basically whatever they're calling like the play design. I forget what they want to call it. It's but, like uh, future, future, design. future, future league yeah, or whatever. Yeah, the, the future present <laughs> league. I don't know, whatever. But as they're they're clearly aware that like the the people who make the game aren't very good at playing the game or figuring out what's good in the game. And uh, that's probably the same like sequence of errors that leads to like the design of like unfun standard formats like this one, and also like the same errors that lead to printing terrible FNM promos over and over again. Uh, to be fair, I haven't played FNM in quite a while, but uh, I don't remember there being promos where I looked at them and wasn't disappointed for like two years now. So it's good, good, good for them. Uh, to continue off of that, Dan, when you just mentioned they they had a they announced I think it was sometime last week middle last week uh, Melissa Del Toro and I think it was Andrew Brown to to form part of that team uh, more focused team so that hopefully these uh, crazy cards don't see <laughs> the light of day again. What did you make of that? Uh, I, I'm pretty happy with it. I think it's I think it's obviously something that they need to be doing. Uh, it's been a serious, serious problem for them in, in the past year or so. It's, they've successfully killed standard on a casual level. No one plays standard anymore. Uh, PPTQs used to be forty people are now nine. Uh, no one, no one's trying to qualify with the Pro Tour anymore because it's through a standard format that's been a degrading mess for the past six months. I've still enjoyed it, but I think it's because I'm a masochist, not because it's good. Maybe I'm like an idiot, but when I heard that announcement, my first thought was, this didn't already exist? Like, I assumed (laughs) that this was a thing. And then they announced it, and I almost felt bad for being like, oh, this is something they didn't understand was required in order for them to release sets that aren't broken. Like, Wizards announces quality assurance. Yeah, like, that's literally what it is, right? That's essentially what they're saying. Like, oh, now we understand that we need to make sure everything works before we release it. Like, yeah, you didn't know that? Like, that's not a I'm, thing that you were aware of? I mean, we play Moto. Yeah. I don't know how this is uh, talking <laughs> to us. The Wizards QA department isn't historically their strongest suit. I just assume that if there was one thing where they had some level of, like, checks, it would be in what keeps magic alive, which is, desi- like, their cards. You like, think so, hey, what, what's wrong with me? But I'm glad, yeah, like you, I'm very happy that they've actually decided to implement something. I think they need to go after more than two players or two people who are good at Magic, but we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I, I was also appalled that this is what, not, what they weren't doing. But I guess their dev team was just making sure that things were fun at a casual level uh, and that they worked in a way that, I guess... Uh, made sense to what they were trying to do at a high level. 
but no one was really testing to see that things were broken, <laughs> whether things were broken or not. So yeah, I mean, this is definitely a step in the right direction. I agree that it's crazy that um, it wasn't already a step taken, <laughs> but <laughs> I think Dan hit, hit the nail on the head when he said uh, moto quality is probably an indicator that <laughs> we should have been looking at. <laughs> I think maybe maybe this is more formalized because I think when Jerry worked there, that was part of his job to make sure things were not broken. I felt to, to tweak certain cards. Uh, at least that's the impression I got when Jerry was there. So. I, I think that was the purpose of the whole future future league thing where basically all the members of R&D and a ton of wizards people uh, would basically be playing standard formats like a year, two years or whatever in advance. But the problem with that is that like as great as like Mark Rosewater might be, he's probably not a very tight competitive magic player. This game's like absurdly hard. I think very few people are able to play it at the level prerequisite to like solve a format and they, i don't think those guys are in the ffl it's like people uh, that used to be on the pt like mike turian and uh, uh dave okay, i don't know it's like they, they've been failing so they're good i think the real problem was that they were like uh they're working with standard like they're working with sets that are still in flux like if you look at any of sam stoddard's articles like where he releases like, oh, this is what we thought was going to happen in FFL, right? And you'll see like some cards on there that are like they don't exist anymore. Sometimes <laughs> we're like, well, what was that, right? Like, what was this thing this de- this deck based around? Or you'll see like our list that looks really weird, and he'll be like, oh yeah, that's because when we were testing this, uh, Siege Rhino was a three mana uh, two uh, three three or something like that. So that's why this deck kind of looks the way it does. So I mean, if that's what you're basing, whether or not things are broken or not on is that like unfinalized card design. I mean, it's going to be really difficult to, to find them all because who knows what's going to happen the next week, right? It's like, Hey, this card's really busted. Oh, it's on the file. Oh, okay. It seems quite likely that they, the errors in playtesting were like a procedural error rather than a personal error. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So hopefully uh, they can clean up that process. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, they need to get the right people as well, but um, we'll see what happens. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt for now, I guess. <laughs> Hire the entirety of Reddit. Oh, God. That would definitely work for sure. Yeah. Yeah. On into Armchair designers. Like me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. Sweet. Um, we're going to plug previous guest of our show, Pro Tour Champion Jerry Thompson, who uh, right after he won, uh, posted us on Facebook. Hey, everyone. With my recent Pro Tour win, I find myself in a wonderful place. For the longest time, I haven't been in a position to give back. This is a great opportunity to do so. Starting Sunday, roughly 6 p.m. PST, I'll be auctioning some memorabilia from Pro Tour Amonkhet, including some swag from the PT, the Nicol Bolas pin I wore, the physical decks I used, and, of course, the trophy. All proceeds minus eBay fees will be donated to Planned Parenthood. Any comments, questions, shares, or encourage? And uh, I've been retweeting that. Uh, he's been... It's a pretty awesome thing that Jerry's doing, and people are just like... Some of the comments are pretty funny. It's like, well, no! You can sell everything, but don't sell the trophy. <laughs> but I think it's, it's pretty damn awesome that he decided to do this. Um, so shout-outs to Jerry from, from all of us at, uh, from First Strike. Yeah, I mean, if anyone had any doubt that he wasn't a good person, it's pretty difficult to have any 
any in- inclination that he isn't now. I mean, this is just like a, the coolest move you could do after winning a pro tour. Jerry's and I have infinite respect for him. Yeah. <laughs> Lit AF. Lit AF, fam. <laughs> As today's children say, spinning their so well. spinners. <laughs> It still it still amazes me that uh, there's stories of Jerry being somewhat of a dick at some point in his life because I met him seven years ago and at that point he was I guess already changed and was super sweet with me up to this point was again so just so kind to spend his time helping me out or just guest starring on on the many podcasts that I've been on so he's given a lot to the game and now he's giving up not just to people within the magic community, but to people outside of it. I got nothing but, but love for the guy. And it's just amazing what he's done. So my hat's off to Jerry. Um, going to wrap up the show. Dan, is there anything uh, from the tournament, anything at all that you want to mention or talk about? Um, I'm just extremely happy with uh, the results of the topic. Uh, I want to, I want to give a shout out to Paul, Paul Dean, my boy. Finally top eight at a Grand Prix. Finally got his second tournament result, you know, platinum pro. <laughs> I've, been, uh, I've been ribbing him for a long time about his uh, lack of Grand Prix results. <laughs> and he's always ribbed me back with one bird, platinum. Um, so I'm extremely happy that he finally, he finally broke that seal. He made it to the finals before not playing uh, a match of any kind of quality whatsoever against Kevin Jones. I'm super happy that Kevin won. That guy's awesome. He's lit. Lit AF fam. Um, but I'm mostly happy that I top-aided the GP that Paul top-aided so that he has nothing to talk trash to me about. <laughs> I got a top-aided PT and then I'll scoreboard on him and that's all that matters, right? You gotta play magic for the scoreboard. <laughs> Speaking of scoreboard, Edgar Magal? Edgar, oh, Edgar Magalais? Scoreboard. <laughs> oh, I will always think of Paul Dean as the greatest Nissa World Breaker player on the planet. Whoa, 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 whoa. I invented Nissa World Breaker. I beat Paul in the finals of a WMCQ in Montreal with Nissa World Waker. I beat him the day before the WFC trial with Nissa World Waker. He changed decks because of it, and then I beat him again the next day in the finals with Nissa World Waker. <laughs> and then Paul was so traumatized by this Nissa World Waker experience and the six hours of ribbing I gave him on the drive home that he ran off to China for a year to find himself. And then while in China... Won a Moto PTQ with four Nissa World Wakers in his main deck, and then top four the the PT that he uh, that he qualified for. So, uh, in conclusion, I invented Nissa World Waker and I made Paul Dean. Okay, okay. Now Very we know. I, I do have uh, one interesting uh, story from the GP, I guess that I ahead, I heard secondhand. And Dan, you you were probably closer to the feature match area than I was hanging out with the rest of the nubs in the back tables. So maybe you can confirm whether or not this actually happened the way uh, that I was told it did. I heard that, um, I guess, Dan, I think it was Dan Lanthier was playing against somebody, and he had accidentally targeted a Chandra Torture Defiance with a Confiscation cue, And his opponent responded with a Negate, I believe, on the confiscation queue, and then he responded with either a sensor or a negate on his opponent's counter spell. And then when that happened, they realized that 
oh, actually, Confiscation Coup can't target Chandra. It's not an artifact or creature. And then either they called a judge or a judge was already uh, there, because I think it happened either near the top tables or in the feature match space. Um, and then it was like a 20-minute judge call to to figure out like what to do about the interaction. And my, my friend was telling me this, and he's like, so what do you think happened? And I go, well... Um, I guess I can see two things happening, and I think they're probably equally likely. I'm not sure which one the head judge would have taken. I said the first is that, and I, I think probably the most likely, uh, they just back the whole thing up because they all have the same information about what's going on, and like everything just kind of like <laughs> gets upheaval back to their hands, uh, and they back up to the point before the confiscation coup is cast. I'm like, but maybe they don't like backing up in this situation because there was a bunch of unknown information that was now known. So technically. Confiscation coup can be countered by the game since it no longer has a legal target, and then that spell fizzles, which fizzles the rest of the counter spells, and they just kind of like move on from there. And I guess he's like, "Yeah, these seem reasonable." But what happened was uh, the counter spells resolved, and Confiscation coup ended up taking Chandra <laughs> and moving to the other side of the battlefield, and that was the resolution from the head judge. So I, I didn't like, I didn't like go to the head judge to ask. And I don't know Lanthier well enough to like ask him if that's what happened. This is what I heard what happened. I'm not sure if you know or if you can confirm whether this is factual. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> I, I don't really what? understand uh, what went on there, but yeah, a confiscation coup targeted a Chandra. Some information was revealed. The players realized that they did not know what confiscation coup did. And in Dan's defense, like, uh, some people will probably like, accuse him of trying to pull a fast one as a bonin over this, but, like, Dan's great. He hasn't been playing all that much magic recently, in case you can't tell by his salty Twitter. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he probably literally had no idea what Confiscation Coup did. Uh, and it seemed, oh, it takes an artifact to creature, and, like, at some point in his head, that meant not land permanent, right? It's got Confiscate in the name, right? So- yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and somehow, uh, after a 20-minute judge call, the ruling was, yeah, you get Torture Defiance. To, to be fair, I think Dan lost that game like three turns later because, you know, Chandra Torture Defiance is nothing compared to the ceaseless hunger of Ulamog. But fair. Sick format. I just thought that was such an absolutely absurd ruling, and I'm not yeah, sure if it was normal correct, but I, either way, I feel like it's absurd. <laughs> I, I've seen some pretty weird rulings over the past two weeks that have made me question all of my knowledge of the rules as a level one judge. I just like, I've apparently I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. <laughs> or no one else knows what they're talking about, but that seems less likely, so... Uh, whatever. I give up. Wow. Yeah, so enjoy. Wow. I hope the audience enjoys that one. <laughs> that one's a, a weird one. Yeah, that, that is weird. I actually wanted your thoughts on one thing, guys, that, that I just remember where people... I haven't read up on it, but uh, just talking to Shaheen and one of his friends... Uh, got DQ'd at GP Richmond. I've heard there were a lot of DQs at GP Richmond. The, it was sealed and was even told that one judge mentioned that they had not seen so many DQs or, or cheating well, since ever. And uh, people were, I guess, adding glory bringers to their decks and Rob, when you play the, the sealed, like it is really easy to cheat, right? No, no matter what, what rules we put in. Yeah, I mean, like you can always just stuff something in your deck, play around, hope you don't get deck checked, and then revert at like in between rounds and decide whether or not you're going to be a scumbag again. I guess, right? 
And yeah, I, I agree. It's like super hard to catch that. And it's like just terrible that anyone would, would do things like this. Um, I don't really know what the resolution is, right? Because it's like just so yeah. hard to catch. Um, but I think you just need to be like really cognizant of maybe like how well your opponent's deck seems and maybe bringing that up to the judge a little more than than you normally would expect needs to be brought up. They can also like, I don't know if they would, but they could run some algorithms based on like your average like uh, limited win rate or whatever previously and how well you're doing in the tournament today and just kind of like look at like for huge gaps like this person normally has a 52% win rate, but today they have a 75% win no. rate. And then just have the judges like, you know, Rob, I love you, but that's one of the dumbest things I've ever yeah, no. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know how to catch it. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I, I actually have a really easy, well, it's not easy, but easy for us solution that they can implement, right? Okay, so remember how we had tournament packs? Why don't they just make a product designed for competitive limited formats? That's, like a, a six pack sealed deck that where everything's stamped and it comes in a box and it's stamped and you have those cards and that's your pool. Yeah, the solution is obviously stamped properly. It's an operational issue. Yeah, well, I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure they're able to deal with We're paying a hundred. Exactly. Right? <laughs> it can't be that much of a nightmare. So just do it so we don't have to worry about this anymore. Like, because I mean, I can tell you firsthand in the sealed event that I played during this weekend, lots of people are cheating. Like it's it's especially when you really? don't have deck lists. Oh, they don't like, have deck lists, right? Yeah. Like it, and the prizes were like, <laughs> yeah, people were super incentivized to try and win. I guess. Yeah, and it's it's gonna happen. So try at least wizards. Like wizards, the onus is on wizards to create an environment that makes it more difficult for cheating, not for cheaters to stop cheating, because that's an unreasonable request to be like, hey guys, stop adding cards to your decks. It's gonna happen, right? You need to create a, an environment either through rulings, which I don't think is practical from a like logistics perspective, or you need to create a product that prevents cheating. And I think that's the only long-term feasible option. A lot of these GPs where there's been significant issues with uh, like like accusations of people adding cards to their sealed pools, it frequently has been boiling down to uh, like players with sleep-in specials not being appropriately supervised while registering effects. And uh, there's a there's a belief that a lot of these people are just like slipping glory breakers in. Because, yes, uh, that one's so hard to catch easy. though, right? Because you've now like kind of changed the template. Like yeah. it looks like you actually had a glory bringer in your pool. So even if you get deck checked, you're not even going to get caught. Yeah, like, that's uh, way worse. <laughs> the, the idea of, the idea behind that is always that the person you should never be registering your own sealed pool. You can open your own packs or whatever, but like the person across from you in a sealed event supposed to be registering your pool. Alternatively, you can just have pre-registered pools, which uh, I think like SCG did once in the past, but clearly didn't at this one or something. I, I'm not sure. There's they did all- it. They yeah. did it at Team Sealed. I think it was Washington DC. Yeah, yeah. It was like the most clean sealed event yeah, I've ever. Sounded, sounded amazing. Great. I don't know why they didn't continue doing that. I guess yeah. it cost them a lot of money, but like, I guess yeah. why would they if they're getting GPs taken away from them? Why would they continue to invest like a ton in the operation of it? That's true. Well, would it solve that. the problem if? Um, like, so they have these, like, let's assume that they make a product that's like a sealed tournament pack, right? Or a sealed deck tournament pack, where it has the deck red sheet already in it, filled out, um, with the contents of what's in, uh, in the sealed deck. And then each round, like, you get to see your opponent's deck list 
uh, like after game one, for example. So that it's like very, it's like people may, may be like much more disincentivized to slip cards in in between rounds because like you can quickly see whether or not something makes sense, right? Like I know that kind of like takes away some of the hidden information of sealed, but it would help in the deterring people from being there um, scumbags. They're never going to make a product like that. What? So. It's so easy to do. It's, I'm it's sure it so is. Easy yeah, to but they do. won't. They won't. So this is why they no no they they are going to make a product like that. That's why they changed the the card frame and added like, their whole their whole purpose for changing the way the bottom of the card is laid out. They specifically stated that it wasn't uh, conducive enough to being machine readable, and the new way is much more easily read by machines. And it's like it's like a future proofing thing. I don't think I don't think they're going to do that. But either way, it's the same uh, same idea as like a TO pre-regging all the pools and ensuring that there's no cheating that way. Also, for what it's worth, uh, I think like obviously cheaters are the literal worst and cheating's garbage. And if you cheat, you should be like banned forever and someone should like smack you on the head. But like <laughs> the the cheating the cheating problem in like at least high level tournament magic is I think extremely overblown. There's like three cheaters on the pro tour. Uh, I think people cheat a lot at like the PPTQ level because I think they can get away with it because there's inexperienced judges and inexperienced opponents. But I see a lot of the same people like showing up in not not the same people. Sorry, I see a lot of people who uh, might experience that at their LGS or something show up in Twitch chat uh, talking about the PT or about the GP or something and are just accusing like every single thing that's remotely off, remotely an error of just being cheats. Like no, people aren't cheating that much. There are people who cheat, but everything that goes wrong isn't someone cheating. Someone's good deck isn't them cheating. Somebody shuffling weird isn't cheating. I saw during the Twitch chat of one of, uh, like, around 14 last weekend. Not last weekend. It was yesterday. I guess it was last weekend. Whatever. Uh, during round 14, my opponent made some, like, weird, did some weird shuffle. Uh, and Twitch out for the next, like, five minutes was just accusing him of cheating in different ways. Like, there were, like, ten cards in his deck. You try to like mash shuffle ten cards before. Obviously, it's gonna look weird. Like maybe he was cheating. I won that game, so swag. <laughs> like he probably wasn't. Like the. No, I'm, I'm with you, man. I think I'm guilty of witch hunting people, but yeah, like yeah. everyone isn't cheating. Cheating is cheating's bad. Cheating's a problem, but it's also not a problem that like I think requires uh, product innovation. It's a problem that requires like tos to watch the players who are registering their pools uh, during sleeping specials. Like, don't seat a friend with a friend. Don't have, like, your friend registering your deck right. during a sleeping special for a sealed GP. Like, that's probably good enough. You don't need machine red pools and showing <laughs> your deck list to people. And <laughs> I just feel like the... Doesn't matter. I feel like the... Well, yeah, I... The thing Rob said I, about like show your opponent your pool is like ridiculous. Like that 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 is not a solution at all. But anyway, it's completely I, a solution. Just no, the, at the cost of you knowing what you have. Problem. No, your opponent solves the problem is a solution. There is no problem. It's like it's an egregious solution to like a minor problem. The addition. You guys of, were the ones complaining about sealed deck. No, no, no. I'm for sealed deck reform. Okay, just let me have my my point here. There's. There's multiple benefits, right, to actually creating this type of product. It's not just to prevent cheating. It also saves 
hundreds and hundreds of hours at every tournament in, in terms of like total man hours used to do things when you have pre-registered these like machine made, however they're going to do it pools, right? Spending the first hour and a half of a tournament, opening packs, registering the contents, switching them with your partner around you, moving them around. And there's always a problem because someone doesn't know what left or right is like, there's always these issues, right? And you can get rid of all of those logistical issues at the tournament level by implementing this type of product design at the production level. And I just think the fact that it, it helps all of those issues combined with the fact that it can also prevent cheating in a very like almost impossible way to cheat beyond this, this level. Like once you have this in place, you basically can't add cards to your deck unless you just hope you don't get caught. Mm. Like, so I just, I don't know. I feel like there's, there's enough upside to this that they should seriously look into it. But again, I don't know if they're going to ever be willing to invest more money in something that they don't want to invest in. Oh, we'll see. Maybe something, maybe something next year with CFB and WotC. Yeah, well, that, see, that's actually a really, that, yeah, because they're running it all now. Yeah, you so. Know, KYT, you solved it. I don't know. Yeah. Speaking of this whole, like, sightline productions, uh, CFB, Wizards thing for GPs, uh, I just want to say, last weekend, uh, I went, to, like, the weekend before Montreal, I went to PT Amoket in Nashville, and that has been my first pro tour in a while, and I just got to say, you know, they stepped up the production of these things. Some of these things, like, some of it was, like, a little annoying, it was, like, a little dark, it was a fog machine for some reason, but, like, damn, that place looks sweet. There's a cool stage in the middle, all this mood lighting, like a bunch of photographers going around snapping a million photos of everyone in like the, the setup lighting. You can see like all the sightline productions guys like walking around, like just setting up multiple camera shots of things. Like just if they're, if they're bringing like that level of professionalism to the GP level of production, I'm like, yo, I'm hyped for that. Sick. <laughs> yeah, well, that is really positive to hear, Dan. Um, Vince, do you have anything else? No, I'm good now. I've, good? I've made my piece. Okay. I'm just going to shout out a few people from the nation. We got, I got to meet Jennifer Cross for the first time. I got to meet Brendan Doe. hope I pronounced your last name correctly. Dan Magyar. Like, it was really awesome to meet people who have been supporting us for so long. And most of them had an awesome weekend. Jennifer actually won that Play It Forward award again. So she's been killing it. And I think we, we see, like, Brendan had a great finish. Sergio... Uh, Ferry had a great finish as well, so shout-outs to those guys. Um, shout-outs to our First Strike producers, Kyle Smirchik, Derek Pite, Adrian Murchison, Isaiah Carrero, I keep screwing up, and see Rob laughing at me in the corner of my eye, but shout-outs to you guys. You guys are awesome, and um, thanks for all the support. Thanks, Dan, for coming on. Really awesome, really appreciate it, and hope you crush Kyoto and uh for uh for all of us we'll see you next week. Bye guys. Peace. Hit that thumbs up button please. Thanks. <laughs>